He was one of those civilized individuals who did not insist upon agreement with his political principles as a precondition for conversation or friendship. People around here don't care about DACA. They don't care about Me Too, I'm Black Too, or transgender bathrooms. Period. A trade war with China? Bring it on. Most people in western Pennsylvania support it. They've been blaming the Chinese for stealing their jobs for 40 years. Democrats used to fight for this stuff. This is the Live Mike Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Romai. For many people, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy is one of the greatest unsolved murders in the history of this country. More than half a century later, many questions continue to persist. Who killed President Kennedy? Was there more than one shooter in Dealey Plaza? Were the Cubans and Mafia involved? What role, if any, did the CIA and FBI play? Did President Johnson cover up a crime through the Warren Commission? Was the Warren Commission report finding that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman on November 22, 1963, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Not if you talk with world-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Cyril Weck. I've had the honor of interviewing Dr. Weck many times over the years, and he is as convinced now as ever that we don't know and maybe never will find out what happened on that fateful November afternoon in Dallas, Texas. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. The, the bottom line here is that there were two shots to the head, and that uh, wound in the top of the head is very important. At the base of your skull, Mike, in the back, um, is the cerebellum. The cerebellum is that part of the brain that is responsible for coordination and balance. And it looks different. It's part of the brain, but it's separate from the two major, you know, cerebral hemispheres, the two major parts of the brain. And, and this is fascinating that the doctors at Parkland all identified cerebellum. They all identified, including the chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery, uh, Kemp Clark, um, a very prominent neurosurgeon, a textbook writer, and so on. Well, the pathologist who did the autopsy that night at Bethesda Naval Center uh, outside D.C., they did not uh, uh, claim that the bullet struck the cerebellum, that uh, the cerebellum, according to them, had not been hit. This, this gets into from where was the shot fired, what was the angle, the trajectory. So, you see, I don't want to get too technical, but, but to answer your question, that's the significance of this, of this business. And the same thing with the gunshot wound in the back, and how far down was it. And you know that these two guys, Hughes and Boswell, also missed a bullet hole in the front of the president's neck. And these are people, uh, these are things that a lot of people still today don't know. A bullet uh, hole in the front of the president's neck? Do you yeah, there that was came a, from? Bullet, a bullet wound in the front of the president's neck that they missed. As I always say to audiences when I'm speaking, I say, turn around, look at the person next to you. Do you think you'd have to be a forensic pathologist to see a hole in the front of their neck? Well, the answer is that at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, the doctors had ascertained very quickly that the bullet had ripped through the trachea. When you have a massive brain injury, uh, it could be a hemorrhage, a hemorrhagic stroke, and the brain doesn't function, 
then you have to take over the duties of the brain. The brain is responsible for everything in our body, including cardiac and respiratory function. So what you have to do is make an incision into the windpipe, the trachea, take out carbon dioxide, suction out blood and mucus, and feed in oxygen. Well, the doctor said, hey, the bullet went through the trachea. We're going to use uh, the hole, the perforation that is already here. We're not going to repair it and make another uh, incision for a tracheostomy. But in doing so, they had to expand its margins in order to attach the cuff from the oxygen, the respirator machine. So these two guys uh, in, in Bethesda that evening, uh, inexperienced as they were, failed to recognize that bullet hole in the front of the neck. And, and they stupidly did not talk with the doctors at Parkland before commencing the autopsy, and they certainly had a lot of time, about eight hours lapse between uh, Dallas' departure and commencement of the autopsy at Bethesda. So can you just imagine the next morning when they called the doctors at Dallas and they learned about a bullet hole in the front of the president's neck? As I often say to audiences, if, if, if this had happened in Asia, um, the doctor would commit suicide. If it happened in in the rest of the world, uh, the doctor would resign in shame and embarrassment. When it happens in America, you just finesse it and go on, especially if you had governmental backing. Now, those now, are hard that, facts was, about the JFK assassination. The bullet hole that you're talking about in the front of the president's neck, did that come from the front or the back? Ah, <laughs> very good, Mike. You zeroed in immediately. The doctors at Parkland that night all said that it was entrance. And then it later became exit. They hooked it up. They matched it up with a bullet hole in the, in the back um, of the president. And they said that the bullet um, that entered in the back exited in the front of the neck. And that's interesting trajectory, too, because there's an 11 and a half degree upward angle between the back wound and the throat wound. Oswald um, is alleged to have fired this from the sixth floor window. So the bullet's moving downward and comes into the president's back, and then it moves upward 11 and a half degrees and exits from the front of the neck at the level of the knot of the tie. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm laughing because the absurdity of this whole thing. And so back to the basic question, uh, how would it be handled? Do you think today, and you're an expert, uh, how would you handle it? Mike, uh, your your editor or the uh, news station director says, Mike Romai, this is your baby. Run with it. Well, do you think you would check? Well, let me see. These guys doing the autopsy, who are they? Right? I mean, you know, a, a sophomore the, in, in, in a high school newspaper would, would think about that. Where would the pressure have come from back then? Why would the uh, government, uh, the LBJ government at the time then, uh, why would they, uh, how much power well, would they have uh, yeah. over, the, well, over the news media at the yeah, time? well. Mike, these are excellent questions, and and in in answering that question, let me tell you something else. And these are all facts. I'm not making anything up or engaging in retrospective conjecture. There were we came to learn, and not not until years later, that there were 33 people in the autopsy room that night, including including three and four star generals and admirals. Okay, uh, issuing orders um, when. A third pathologist called over from the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, wanted to dissect out some wounds. They were told, um, uh, no, doctor, uh, just uh, you do what we we, we tell you in in essence um, to show you, to prove the control that was exercised over what should have been a completely forensic scientific endeavor. 
if you look at the autopsy report, Mike, you'll find no mention of the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands, one on each side, just above the kidneys, are important endocrine glands. You know, they manufacture epinephrine as well as various other um, steroids and, and hormones and so on. Um, there is no mention because Kennedy had Addison's disease. Addison's disease is a disease that kind of wipes out the adrenal glands. Now, this had nothing to do with the death. Please understand, it had nothing to do with the assassination. The point I'm making is that I'm just, I'm just corroborating, buttressing, validating the comment that I made about the control that was exercised. And here's something that is very, very important, extremely important. Two weeks later, when they went back to examine the brain, which had been fixed in formalin. We do that with brains that have been traumatized. You fix it in formalin in order to make it firmer so that you can go back two weeks later and slice it. Um, I don't mean to be crude or insensitive, but so that people can understand, you know, picture instead of a soft-boiled egg um, on the night of the autopsy, you have a, a hard-boiled egg two weeks later. In other words, you slice it like you would slice a hard-boiled egg. Okay, so they went back two weeks later. Now, now, this is extremely important. You've got to cut that brain, and you look for the hemorrhagic tracks of the bullets going through the brain. Well, guess what? The brain was never, never examined, never serially sectioned. And this is in the autopsy report. I pointed this out when I gave my paper uh, back in 1965 when I first got involved in this at the American Academy of Forensic Sciences, that the brain was never serially section that is cut in parallel fashion to trace out the bullet wounds. Um, and this this gets back to a question um, uh, you, uh, you asked some minutes ago about the head wounds uh, and the direction and so on and whether there was one wound or two shots to the head. So this is where we stand. And by the way, in 1972, when I was the first non-government uh, or non-government-related sponsored forensic pathologist given access to the autopsy materials at the um, National Archives, I pointed out, it was front-page story, Fred Graham, New York Times, Sunday, August 27, 72, that the president's brain is missing. And they saved it. And that's what they say, that the brain is not serially sectioned in order to preserve the specimen. When I got in there in 72, I looked for the brain, which had been logged in, in 1965, and then 18 months later, uh, in a new inventory, was no longer listed. Today, as we speak, in 2013, the brain has still not been accounted for. Nobody has ever, ever officially documented what happened to the brain. Uh, Cyril, when I hear you talk about it in our first segment, you're as passionate about it today as you ever were. Why? Well, yeah, people often comment on that, and it's not the least bit uh, forced, uh, uh, believe me. I uh, Every time I think about this, Mike, uh, I, I become so agitated. Um, uh, why? Because this was the president of, of our country, and, and we, we came to learn immediately, you can be sure, uh, from the top uh, spook agencies and other governmental agencies in this country that the assassination of Kennedy was not something orchestrated by the Russians or the Chinese or the Cubans. And as they often say in the, uh, the mortal words of that comic strip character, that delightful possum called Pogo, uh, we have met the enemy and he is us. And in other words, Mike, this was the murder of, of the president. This was the assassination of the head of our government, 
Everywhere else in the world, it is labeled and identified for what it is. It was the overthrow of the government. It was a coup d'etat. That's what happened in America. The people who could not deal with what was happening, and here again, Mike, especially for the people who are, you know, less than 50 or 60 years of age, and to remind the people uh, older, uh, my age, um, what was happening in America and in the world at that time. You had uh, the um, bitter Cold War situation with Russia, and the threat of another atomic nuclear um, war going on, starting. You had the uh, situation in Cuba following the Bay of Pigs fiasco um, and what what we were going to do with Cuba. Uh, you had uh, developing problems with China. You had the emerging and ever-increasing war in Vietnam. Locally, in America, domestically, we were talking about the civil rights battle. Remember, you know, this was all civil rights, voting rights, and so on. Um, you, 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 we had major, major problems. Well, people who did not like Kennedy's policies and what Kennedy uh, was advocating, um, you know, what, what, what were they going to do? You think they were going to sit back and say, well, Jack, five more years, another year, and then his reelection, very likely, almost certainly, to be followed by eight years of Bobby Kennedy. Uh, were they going to say, well, you know, like a ball game, where do we get up in the ninth inning or in a hockey match, where do you see what we do in a third period or the basketball game or football game in the second half? No, 13 years in the life of a country in terms of its political, domestic, international policies is is a revolution. It's, it's, a, it's a cataclysmic um, a period, okay? So these people... Uh, you know, there was only one way. You couldn't beat the Kennedys with their power, their money, their charisma. Uh, they opened up their mouths and 100 million Americans. And again, we're not getting into whether someone agreed or disagreed with their policies. That's a discussion for another day. I'm simply pointing out hard facts, like it or not, okay, like then me... or now. The, these were these were the the issues that confronted the nation and and the the people who. You know, when, I, I, I have to ask though, sir, yeah. when you say these people, who were these people? Who were the assassination sponsors? Well, I, I do not know their names, although I, there are a couple names that continue to surface uh, the more you dig into this. Um, Alan Dulles, who had been dismissed by Kennedy. This is fantastic, by the way. Alan Dulles thrown out by Kennedy as the head of the CIA following mm, the Cuban missile the mess and, and the Bay of Pigs fiasco, uh, he, he winds up being appointed to the Warren Commission. How do you like that? Um, and there was a guy, look him up uh, sometime, uh, Mike, James Jesus Angleton. James Jesus Angleton, considered by even his worst enemies as well as his best friends as the most diabolical, uh, manipulative, cunning, uh, brilliant, powerful CIA person behind the scenes uh, heading up the counter um, counterintelligence section of the CIA. These names surface, but, but they weren't the ones that fired the guns. But when you ask me who they were, these were, these were people 
who are advocating um, we should prophylactically drop a couple of nuclear bombs in Russia. These are the people who are extreme right-wingers. They would even, you know, I mean, you know, they make uh, modern-day uh, Tea Party people even seem uh, politically docile. Um, these, these were those people. You know, when, when Kennedy learned about how he had been misled on the Bay of Pigs, uh, by everybody, and this is documented, Mike. He had a document, I don't know what it was, a memo or whatever, in his hands. He tore it up. This is in his office. And he threw it in the air, and he said, this is what I'd like to do to the CIA, tear it up into a thousand pieces. I mean, now, can you imagine to that spook? And remember, Mike, that was the CIA of, of those years, Mike. Again, people in America have to be reminded. This is when the CIA was totally, totally out of control, unmonitored. They, 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 they assassinated Allende in Chile. They assassinated Arbenz in Guatemala. They assassinated Ngo Diem and his brother in Vietnam. Anything Mossadegh in Iran, anything that they felt was necessary. They were super patriots, super patriots, Mike. When they heard the Star Spangled Banner, they heard something that ordinary, normal people like you and me did not hear. When they saw the flag flying, uh, they, something, you know, I mean, these are the, the super, super duper patriots. And this was their America that was going to hell in a basket, and they were not going to tolerate it. And there was only one way to deal with it, and that was to physically eliminate John Kennedy. And they did the same thing five years later with Bobby Kennedy, and they did the same thing with Martin Luther King. People like that can't be controlled. J. Edgar Hoover tried to control Martin Luther King and smear him with all kinds of allegations and so on, and he failed. Well, how do you deal with that? You just sit back and say, okay, this is a democracy. We'll go to the polls and we'll let people vote. Huh? How do you handle that? From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th president of the United States. What do you believe? Do you believe the Warren Commission report? Or do you believe that we'll never know the truth? This is Mike Romai. Thank you for listening to the Live Mike podcast on the Social Voice Project. Like, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. 